know it's relevant. Yeah. I, I, I said what I said. <laughs> Welcome to Surviving Society. This season's broad theme is how we continue to deal with the legacies of empire. Welcome to the first episode of the Surviving Society Alternative to Women's Hour for Season 8. I'm really excited to be joined by Amelia Morris, who is a research fellow at Royal Holloway. I just found out that Amelia (laughs) is literally 10 minutes down the road from where I'm from. So if you listen to the podcast, you know that I'm from Brumsgrove, West Midlands, and Amelia's from the neighbouring town, or technically city, Worcester. And my research happens to be within, my PhD research is mainly based in Bromsgrove, but also is in like Redditch and Worcester. Anyway, we've been catching up, mutual friends. I just found out you're a little bit younger than me, which, and have your PhD, which is stressing me out. And you're from around the corner from me. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's not really, no, it's not really. Anyway, if you've listened to this, so I've alternative to women's out before, you'll know that quite a big topic for us has at times been about weight. So today is really exciting because Amelia, I want to say you're an expert on the politics of weight. Thanks. <laughs> I would say you're definitely an expert. And in front of me, I've got Amelia's book, The Politics of Weight, Feminist Dichotomies of Power and Dieting. And then you're also writing a book at the moment with... Nikki Smith. And what's yeah. that called? Lean Times, The Body Politics of Austerity. Yes. There is so much that I just want to talk to you about that's in my head right now. But before yeah. we do that, I'm going to read a little bit of the blurb from The Politics of Weight. And then perhaps you could read about... A little bit about lean times. Yeah, for sure. This book speaks the politics of weight through an interrogation of dieting, power and the body. In feminist theory, there is no greater sight of contestation than that of the body. And Morris explores how these debates often become centred upon a dichotomy between oppression and liberation. Whilst there is a vast diversity of scholarship that challenges this binary, including post-colonial, post-structuralist and Marxist feminist work, the dichotomy nevertheless Endures. Oh, God. <laughs> Woo! Oh, my well, God. That. <laughs> That's insane. And then lean times. Go on, Amelia. Okay. I don't think I will read it as good as you, though. The proposed book explores how austerity might be understood in terms of body politics and the fat body in particular, focusing on the case of the UK as one of the most economically unequal countries in the developed world. The book examines how the poor have been singled out as particularly susceptible to obesity at the exact same historical moment that hunger is on the rise. Although a number of scholars have highlighted centrality of distinctions between responsible and irresponsible citizens to the austerity agenda, scant attention has been devoted to the question of the body, and especially the fat body, in shaping these distinctions. Our aim is to show that austerity has itself been made thinkable through appeals to the poor as excessive, profligate and overweight. Appeals that have also been deployed as metaphors for the state. Wow, you are very good. You are very good at reading, (laughs) Amelia. Like this is this is just brilliant. Oh, thanks. This is so so exciting. Tell us about how you got into this research. I got into the research because I was doing my masters in gender and media, and then when I was thinking about what PhD I wanted to do. I guess I always, as many women do, as as the majority of women do, had a really complicated relationship to my body and kind of sought weight loss as kind of an end goal for happiness, I guess. And But then at the same time felt like a massive hypocrite because I was allegedly a feminist, but then felt like I had really complicated relationships with like weight loss and exercise and dieting Mm. and so just decided that I wanted to look at the way that power operates in terms of dieting and I think I've got a really big group of friends who are women and also a lot of women in my family and I found just being around a lot of women and the way that we talk about our bodies and the way that we are so awful to ourselves a lot of the time and that's something that's normalized and expected and something that to not be kind of seeking a leaner body, to not be seeking weight loss is seen as a radical act. Mm. Um, and so what I wanted to to think about was how, in terms of the politics of weight, I wanted to think about whether it's ever possible to step away from dieting culture or whether processes of self-surveillance, which we all participate in, how can we ever untangle ourselves from those practices of self-surveillance? I wanted to embed it within narratives within um, popular culture as well. Mm. So the book starts with a case study of Fat Monica from Friends and looks at the way that Courtney Cox in a fat suit is symbolically a a backstory to Thin Monica, who we know as this 
control freak, perfectionist, successful woman, but the, her success depends on the fact that she's haunted by her past as this fat, unsuccessful, unattractive slob, essentially, and how those two characters shape one another. Yeah, um, that's so interesting. And do you know yeah. what that reminds me of, Millie? It reminds me of, I've just started watching, I know I'm really late to the party, but I'm, I'm there, I've just started watching This Is Us. Okay. And This Is Us, basically, it's a, it's really similar to how Fat Monica is portrayed in that she's, like, not as successful, not as, like, put together, mm. hasn't got a partner. Basically, the long and short of it is storyline is based around some triplets. One of the triplets is adopted and is a, is black, African-American. And then the other two are biological twins and they're, cut a long story short, their um, other brother passed away and they ended up adopting um, yeah. this child. Anyway, so... The male twin is very good-looking, successful actor, and his sister is overweight and has been her entire life, and it's such a big part of the show and how she looks after him and has been unlucky in life and never really had structure and is his personal assistant. Like, I think they're trying to talk about the... I mean, I've only just started the series, so people can tweet me. I'm I'm sure it ends up getting, like, problematic. But it seems like they're trying to show what they did with Fat Monica and how problematic it is. But equally, they're still portraying her as, like, unsuccessful, effectively, and unhappy in herself. Because fatness in fe- fatness and femininity is always portrayed as something to transition away from. Yeah. And there's, um, so that's one of the themes that's in the book is this idea of the body journey, which, you know, I mean, you only have to look at, like, any New Year's post or whatever about, like, you know, my weight loss journey and how it's a transition away from not only a lack of attractiveness, a lack of, like, heteronormative attractiveness, but... Also, um, a transition away from a lack of success because success in femininity is defined through the body. We historically women have been defined through the body and defined through Eurocentric beauty ideals as well. Mm. And the prioritization of this ideal of white femininity, essentially, that everyone is is kind of pigeonholed into aspiring to. Um, is entangled with ideas of morality as well and the idea that not only are you unsuccessful as a fat woman but you're also a slob, you don't care about yourself, you are probably a bit stupid Mm. Um, and you see this play out in all different ways throughout popular culture. So I guess I wanted to explore that, that narrative around fatness and femininity but also think about is it ever possible to remove yourself from those from those practices or are practices of self-surveillance so embedded within our knowledge of what femininity is and so embedded within our knowledge of who we are as as women, I guess? And I kind of come to the conclusion, I guess, that... So I basically, like, speak to these, these ideas of oppression and liberation. And so some radical feminists would argue that power is a patriarchal tool that consumes us and that femininity is something which is inherently bad and inherently painful so things like makeup and like a classic example would be the way that some radical feminists talk about sex work as something that's inherently oppressive inherently Mm. um, patriarchal and that it's power as something which kind of which comes from above onto our bodies rather than something that we've chosen we've chosen and then on the other hand in terms of dieting, an example of someone who I would say leans into that idea is um, Jamila Jamal, who, I don't know if you remember, said the, that the Kardashians were agents of patriarchy. Mm. And that, for me, is a, well, a really problematic assumption. But in terms of the body, there's often the like liberal feminist scholars like Naomi Wolf, Katie Royf, who see power as something which, rather than an oppressive tool that comes from above, it's an empowering, in inverted commas, tool that we can utilise for our own ends. So the body and femininity can be capitalised upon in order to... We need to embrace that idea of weight loss and typical forms of femininity can be embraced to achieve empowerment. What my contribution is, is to draw on post-structuralist feminist work, the work of uh, Michel Foucault, to talk about the way that actually power is not oppressive or liberating. It's something which occurs in the everyday and it's 
more complicated than simply being consumed by power or using power. Go on, it, tell me, tell me what's a post what's post structuralist feminism? Um, sorry. So oh, no, it's okay. Yeah. Um, so post structuralist feminism is is the idea, I guess, that our the gender is something that we perform in the everyday. So we perform masculinity, we perform fem- femininity. The example I always give is that, that of the lad. Like, the lad, a typical lad, has to work in order to p- perform that laddishness in, in the way that he walks, in the way that he talks, in the way that he dresses. It's work to act out that form of masculinity or what he sees as the correct form of masculinity. And so I, I use that idea of this performance of femininity to look at the way women survey their bodies and argue basically that rather than being like cultural sponges, which is a phrase from DeVoe, she says that women aren't cultural sponges, but rather we're, if we're a blank canvas, gender is something that we paint on, Mm. on the canvas. And I guess that for me, femininity and beauty are inextricably wrapped up with smallness and not taking up space. And that this is, so women, I argue in the book, it's a lifelong mission, essentially, to achieve that goal of not taking up space and to be, to watch yourself and to watch your weight, which is a phrase that people, oh, I'm watching my weight, yeah. and to transition towards this idea of what we see as good femininity. But at the same time, it's not that women are simply, it's not that we're simply watching our weight and self-surveying in a way that has a lack of awareness. We don't, we're not aware, we're not, it's not that we're not aware of these behaviours, but the fact that we know that there's a gendered reason that we want to lose weight and that we want to be thinner speaks to the power of that, those actions. And there's a quote from the book from one of my participants where she says, oh, I'm caught between, so she, so I did interviews with members of Slimming World and Weight Watchers. And what I found really interesting was how they would, they would talk about this openly, like, I know that the reason that I want to lose weight and is because life will be easier for me as a thin woman because people won't be aggressive to me. The world's set up for thin people everywhere you go, like, mm. on a, whether you're on a plane, whether you're out in public. And I know the reason that I want to lose weight is because I want to feel attractive and I want to fulfil that ideal of femininity. But then at the same time, I feel guilty because I feel like a really shit feminist. And that, for me, speaks to this idea of how power is not something that's simply oppressive or liberating. It's something that's more insidious and more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. And so this this one participant said, um, yeah, she said, I'm caught between caring and not caring. And that really stuck with me because I was like, it's so, it, it's so true because you're like, I'm not going to care. I'm going to just not uh, monitor what I eat and not exercise and not guilt myself into, oh, if I eat this, then I'm going to have to go for a run. Or if I Mm. go for a run, then I'm allowed to eat this. That kind of, yeah, spoke to that idea of this complicated relationship that women have for their bodies. I I think this complicated relationship that you're talking about, and it's really interesting that you use Foucault as well, it completely makes sense. I think... uh, we have spoken about this or I've spoken about this on the podcast before. I find this stuff so difficult because, as you say, like, so many of the women and me myself, like, when I'm smaller and when I'm thinner, I feel happier. Yeah. But to what extent am I happier? And like, to what extent is that is that is that a happiness that has been designed for me by the structures in society? When I am bigger, yeah, that, that connection to space is definitely so important I feel I don't want to take up less space like when I'm smaller I'm like oh my god like sometimes I'll look at myself like when I'm on the toilet and I'll be like oh I'm smaller like I feel smaller but that's so unhealthy Mm. not so unhealthy it doesn't seem like a healthy thing to be thinking in my head yeah like all the stuff you're talking about like particularly in my family like so on the white side of my family all the we're all I'm not anymore but we're all working class women so my nan and mum definitely are still Mm. and we all come from a family of like big women Mm. so weight has been such a big part of my life growing up women on women on diets women talking about their weight women talking about not eating bread women talking about sweets it's always been such a big part of my life I don't know like it's really difficult because like, I give you an example. Like, my mum right now, like, she's on, she's been doing Slimming World, mm. and it's been working really well for her. And, like, she seems really happy. Yeah. But the reason why she's doing that is because yeah. of all those things that you're describing 
and partly because I was like, oh, I want you to be healthier. But then we yeah. know that like fatness isn't directly yeah. linked to health. Like some of the slimmest people are like very, very ill. Yeah. Like it's so complicated. And I know that I'm not saying that I in any, I'm not trying to be contrarian and I'm not saying in any way that what I'm saying is right. Like I know I don't have a good relationship with food yeah. and weight because I think about it too much. Yeah. And it just... I, I don't. I wouldn't go as far as to say I've I, I've never had an eating disorder or anything like yeah. that. But I definitely don't have a good relationship with how I think about food and how I think about. I don't want to say exercise because exercise for me is a mental health activity yeah. in the sense that like I literally do it to clear my head. Yes, but I do same. exercise a lot. Yeah, I think I ex- I think I do exercise to keep weight off, but the weight stuff comes more from food for me. Yeah. So like I've been bigger, but I've always exercised but I've still been bigger because my eating's so bad does, yeah. does that make sense yeah definitely and yeah. I think and I think it's really interesting because I've not met a woman that doesn't have that kind of relationship to food or mm. diet. and I think when you say um when you said when I'm smaller I'm happier mm. I think that's I think that's something I talk about in the book it's because I think for women our bodies are our cultural capital in a lot of ways and the world is set up the world is set up to reward thin femininity. But, sorry, yeah. just to cut yeah. you, I absolutely hate getting any sort of um, attention about my body. I yeah. don't like, like, the fact that it's a capital unsettles me because I don't like it. Like, yeah. I don't, like, and, pe- and like, basically, yeah. gender, as in femininity, yeah. was a big thing in my family yeah. as well. Big thing for me growing mm. up. So I very much wear and express my femininity, yeah. like, constantly, like, makeup, clothes, whatever. But I do that for me. Yeah. And I've spoken that be- about this before on the podcast. People be like, yeah, but you're getting attention, you're getting attention. It's like, no, but it's not for them, it's for me. And I yeah. don't want that attention. Yeah. So, like, the fact that us being slimmer, and in quotations, that make us more attractive, like... The fact that that's a cultural capital unsettles me as well because yeah, yeah. I wish I say to my partner all the time I'd love to be invisible but still look and feel the way I look like does that? It's so does, interesting you say uh, that. Yeah. So in in Lean Times actually we're, uh, one of the things I talk about is um, so in a chapter we're look where I'm looking at the modern day Victorian freak show basically and I look mm. at I don't know if you remember the show Super Size versus Super Skinny. Oh my god, yeah. So in that I talk about how I how differently we, we yeah. treat how differently we treat anorexic women to, quote, obese women, and how this speaks to our idea of femininity. It's so interesting when you watch it, when you have two women on there, like the, the super size and the, the super skinny, how different the discourses are around them. When you watch it, and what, what, I, write, what I write about in the chapter is that um, whilst we treat fat women as these freaks to be gawped at, essentially, you know, through if you've ever watched any weight loss TV show, like low camera angles, like harsh lighting, mm. that like we're encouraged to see them as kind of spilling over the camera almost. How to look good naked. Yeah. So yeah. all that all that Trini kind of and stuff. Susanna. Yeah. yeah. Um and 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 in contrast, the way that women on the show who are anorexic essentially the way that they're framed is through narrative, so like, oh, we, we need to feed you up, and it's this, and and what I argue in the chapter is that this is because women are always positioned, it, it, like, so Susie Orbach argues that um, anorexia is the metaphor for our age because that's women fulfilling, taken to the extreme the kind of narrative surrounding what good femininity is, mm-hmm. the idea that you, you need to disappear, you need to be invisible, you need to not take up any space. Mm-hmm. And so actually, when you look at the way in which we treat fat women compared to the way we treat thin women, yeah. they're both positioned as freaks, but thin women, are, are there's a desire to look after them. Like, I don't know if you... So if you ever watch that show, I mean, it's like early naughty shit reality mm, TV, but mm. also very addictive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a bit in it where they're saying, you know, we need to just feed you up and we need to just like, and they're like, oh, bless you. Oh, bless you. And talking to them in this really like infantilizing, condescending way. And on the other hand, when it's the narrative surrounding the fat woman, it's all about shock factor. Do you know what you're doing to your body? You're going to mm. die. You're this idea of... So there's a bit where they kind of that I talk about in the book, which is where she's kind of they filmed her one of the one of the participants at night going to get a midnight snack, and the way that they've shot it is that she looks like a basically like a monster essentially, and they they and and the the narrative over the top oh and she's still not full and this idea of gluttony and excess mm. and how 
what I argue is that this is massively wrapped up with class, massively wrapped up with the way we position mothers as essentially implementing these ideas about self-surveillance in their daughters. That's the role of the mother in a society that values thinness, is that we need to... Part of being a mother is to um, train your daughters how not to get fat. And for fat, and so then fat mothers, and particularly fat working class mothers or fat mothers who are on benefits, that is a complete rejection of that narrative, essentially, and, the, and, and a rejection of what motherhood should be in a capitalist society that essentially profits off women chasing thinness. Oh my God, you need to watch This Is Us, honestly. Okay. Like, it's that, because, it talk, because, it, because it's yeah. so much talking about how yeah. the mum has, like, such a... is so stressed about her daughter being, in quote-unquote, overweight. Like, yeah. wants to put, like, a T-shirt on her at the swimming yeah. pool and that so sort of thing. It's so mm. difficult. This conversation is so important because it pushes me. It really pushes me mentally yeah. because it is so fixed in my head that, like, oh, I have too. to be... That I, yeah. that I have to be a certain weight or that I have to watch what I eat but then I'll like have really weak moments yeah. where something bad will happen in my life or I'm stressed mm. and I'll sit in bed I'll buy straws I'll buy ice cream mm. and I'll just binge yeah. like do you know what I yeah, mean yeah. like and and I'm doing it to like numb numb yeah. how I feel about my weight if that yeah. makes it definitely like, and, and 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 I should say as well like I'm not saying that I've I think that the, the basically what the the book what the politics of weight argues is that I'm kind of grappling with the fact that I haven't been able to remove myself from dieting discourses. Yeah. No, no, I, was, I wasn't yeah. sort of suggesting oh, no, that, no, that, that yeah. you're saying that. I, get, <laughs> I, I think what's really good about this conversation <laughs> and what's really good about your arguments is it's really complex and we can't remove ourselves from it because yeah. we live in this neoliberal, capitalist, yeah. patriarchal society and sexist society. So weight yeah. and femininity is going to be like at the forefront of a lot of our experiences. Mm. To reject that... Yeah. Ooh. is so powerful and there are yeah. more women that are doing that like I mean the author Roxanne amazing Gay. Roxanne Gay like legend yeah absolutely like, so I quote her in the book but so it's so in the book I talk to women who are seemingly oppressed in inverted commas so people on Slimming World and Weight Watchers and then women who I had perceived to as I was researching had removed themselves from dieting discourses so fat activists so I spoke to performers who were embraced the idea of fatness and what I found actually was that they also could not remove themselves from this idea of how they see fatness and femininity and thinness and these are women who made their careers to well that that's their activism they're that's they're fat activists and um so one woman I spoke to who did a show about She'd done shows about being fat and she was a fat activist and she like wrote a lot about dieting discourses. She says in, in the interview, oh, I, ha- I got put on a sugar, a, like no sugar diet for something to do with my teeth. And I ended up like losing loads of weight. And I got re- I was like really excited and really happy that I decided to lose weight. And then I felt guilty because I thought, wait, I'm supposed to be a fat activist. So I'd failed at being a successful woman because I was fat and I'd also failed at being a fat activist. So it was like a double burden of... And I think that that, that, that to me made was so interesting because as when I was starting the book, I thought, oh, I'm going to talk to fat activists who, ha- who are liberated away from this yeah. idea. But actually, we never are. It's the not reason, binary, is it? No. No. Yeah. I love Roxanne Gay, though. There's a bit... So I quote her at the end of the book where she says um, something like, if you want to put me on a pedestal, consider me knocked off the pedestal because... I'm a bad feminist. I'm like legend. Yeah, she's great. Absolute absolutely legend. Love her. Yeah, absolute legend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's what I. And that's why I do like having these conversations. I do like having to do critical reflection because I just think about it every day. Yeah, I think about it every day, and I know it's not good. And I want to get to the point where I free myself from it. Yeah, effectively, but it's hard because we're just. We're just surrounded by... I mean, and none of this is... These aren't new conversations. Like, these have been happening for a long time. Yeah. Like, I mean, we were talking about Angela McRobbie, yeah. like, coming in and, like, her work on, like, girls' magazines yeah. and how they, like, re- reinforce yeah. femininity and a certain way of girls, teenage girls looking. When I was reading the... Well, the blurb for Lean Times that you're working on now, yeah. which is about the body, class, neoliberalism and austerity, mm-hmm. one of the bits of... Incredible scholarship that came to my mind was Imogen Tyler's oh, Stigma, stigma yes. Machine. Yes. 
the way you talk about the yeah. body as being a site of oppression and markings yeah. of your class, it really reminded me of Imogen talking about yeah. how, like, literally stigma is something that is ingrained, at, like, engraved on us, sorry. It's something that we live with. It's something that is used against us, something the state uses as a... Yeah. Uh, as part of the machine to um, oppress us, marginalise us, like... Yeah, it really reminded me of that. We Is use that? A lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we brilliant. use a lot of that. I absolutely love Imogen Tyler. Mm-hmm. What we kind of do is this. As we started to think about it, as we started to look at the discourses that surrounded austerity, you know, when George Osborne stood on stood on the steps of Downing Street and said, "We all need to tighten our belts." you know, cut away this flabby economy. We started to think about the gendered implications of austerity and how austerity is seen as this, like, rational, lean way of seeing the economy that's kind of free from the flabbiness, essentially, of the public public sphere. And especially as they originally said that... um, Oh, you know, it's 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 a necessity. And then later on down the line, David Cameron obviously said, We're heading for a leaner economy and this ideological project. Oh, and but at the same time, Leaning 15 came out. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh my god, I need to I need to cite that. Yeah, <laughs> Leaning 15 came yeah, out. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Like all these people at the at the same time as austerity kicks in, yeah. you've got a combination. I guess this probably speaks to image and stigma machine as well. Yeah. You've got a combination of government, media, popular culture contributing to this anti-fat, lean, vile mm. basically discourse. You've got George Osborne and his cronies talking shit, like basically yeah. saying poor people are poor because they eat too much. Mm-hmm. You've got Joe Wicks capitalising mm-hmm. on our insecurities, doing a walk and telling us how to be lean in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. You've got the rise of the influencer culture starting in the 2010s. It all sort of fits together. Yeah. And the people that sort of are able to engage more with that Instagram culture, as well as sort of going along with George Osborne's idea of what is the yeah. ideal family all relates to class as well. Because those people are more likely to be middle class, working age, like, oh, like, in my active... Have you you seen the video uh, for activewear? Oh, yeah. In my active wear. (laughs) Yes. In my active wear. (laughs) Going on the tube in my active wear. Like, as in it all... It's so true. I think if 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 you're on social media and, like, were around during this period, (laughs) I think because you're listening to this, you probably were, then... This is such an important moment, I feel like, for what you're talking about. You're so right about the activewear thing, because it is yeah. that thing of... I am an activewear dickhead, though. Oh, I, I am. am. I wear activewear, I so oh, I, I, can't, like yeah, I, can't, I can't separate myself from this. Me I too. love a good legging. Oh, me too. <laughs> Who doesn't? But I think that... But, but, what's, but what's interesting is, is the way the activewear is framed, and then on, on the other hand, you have this stereotype of the mother in particular on benefits that wears trackies yeah because it depends who's wearing those trackies doesn't it it depends on who's wearing the comfortable leg one one is one is wearing clothes for comfort because they're lazy and they don't work and the other is wearing clothes for comfort because they're efficient and they're heading towards the gym or they're heading rushing between meetings yes and so there's so what we basically argue is that the body speaks in terms of the body speaks in terms of gender and particularly in this case in terms of class and I think what what you're saying is really interesting because especially the stuff like Lean and 15 I hadn't even thought of that but that is such a good point and um, I've got his book as well I feel Sorry, dirty Chantal really Lewis dirty. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking I'm joking I'm joking I'm joking, I'm joking. You, can, you can have that babe yeah. um, oh thanks um, yeah I've, I have Lean and 15 yeah I but, have it but also what, what, so one of the case studies I'm looking at at the moment is um, The Apprentice and this idea of the the neoliberal body as and and as you look at what's so interesting is post 2008 when it's the economic crash i'm not kidding you after the economic crash and as we head into austerity throughout the seasons of the apprentice the women get more beautiful more like lean their bodies are like really firm mm. there's a lot of quotes like cut me and i bleed ambition things like that so it wasn't yeah. like, and it wasn't and if you remember it wasn't obviously yeah. you do remember it wasn't always like that no it wasn't about necessarily what people looked like you had no no yeah, no yeah. and this idea of how the first guy to win the apprentice was black you know Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No way. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Carry on. Sorry. Sorry, a little bit of um, minor representation yeah. politics there. <laughs> yeah, so imagine what the neoliberal body looks like. It is this free from fat, this idea of, like, the messy body as something that is 
really wrapped up with class, in particular shows like Fat and on Benefits. These are all things, and the thing is, is often in academia, people, academics, um, don't see popular culture and don't see the media as something which is... They see it as something which is separate to academia, but I think that austerity wouldn't have happened without shows like Fat and on Benefits or yeah. shows like Benefit Street. But I mean, yeah, yeah, and obviously we take here from, like, Angela McRobbie, Bev Skeggs, yeah. Imogen Tyler, <gasps> like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. They've all been saying mm. that, and it's like we've yeah. been... And even, I reckon, even before what you're talking about in terms of The Apprentice, and I'll get into that, from that economic crash yeah. then to austerity, before that, Jamie Oliver's coming into our fucking schools yes. and telling... Yeah. <laughs> And tell it like if Tiso was here, he would be he would do a good little monologue about Jamie Oliver as well. Fuck Jamie Oliver. Fuck Jamie Oliver. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah, Jamie Oliver in the early noughties is already coming into schools, already telling the poor kids that they're eating the bad food and they're they're not gonna have a they can't concentrate because the food they're eating, all this stuff. The mother handing the burger through the gates and this idea of like Oh yeah, that actually happened. They filmed that, didn't they? And the moral panic surrounding this idea of these mothers that are just feeding our children. And again, it all speaks to this idea of how are you producing for capitalism? And the idea that we are in a in quote obesity crisis speaks to the idea of how are people producing for capitalism? And if you're a burden on the NHS, that means that you're not contributing to capitalism. And so to go back to my what I was talking about, the idea of like bad motherhood. That NHS thing really annoys me, by the way. Yeah. We have people that live till 90. That's why the NHS like yeah, that's yeah, one yeah. of the reasons. And it's under and the NHS is underfunded. Yeah, that's yeah. not it's not because of people being no. overweight. No, Sorry. no. <laughs> No, no, it yeah. really winds me up yeah. when people say stuff like it's yeah. fat people's fault that the yeah. NHS is underfunded. It's like, no, it's purposely underfunded. Yeah. And we have Nan and Grandad are living till 99. Yeah, yeah. And it's this purposeful, like, dichotomy between who's a responsible citizen and who's an irresponsible yes. citizen. And a responsible citizen is someone that goes to the gym, is efficient, produces for capitalism in terms of raises children that are then also going to carry those practices, especially if they're women. And again, if you zoom out further, speaks to this idea of the flabby economy as something which, you know, the coalition, this idea that they inherited this bloated economy, which is the language they use. They use language like bloated economy, flabby economy, they need savage cuts is the words that uh, of Nick Nick Clegg. So it all speaks to this idea about, I would say, uh, this ideological project. Because uh, Philip Alston in the UN Austerity Report said that it was an, an ideological project aimed at restructuring the social fabric. And that comes down to wiping out people at the bottom. That is what they've done. And that's what they've done by stripping away the welfare state because they want an economy that's lean in terms of it doesn't have these hangers-on, essentially, is how they would see it, that they're trimming down the state. By trimming that down, what they mean is, essentially, social cleansing. So, yeah. I mean, I'm sat here nodding, just thinking about my own complicity in, in this stuff. Like, yeah, I, I know, yeah. I know. But there are things, there are little things that I could do within my daily life, within how I talk, I don't know, that wouldn't contribute to this stuff. But I want to ask you something, right? Cool. So, me and my <laughs> partner, right... 100% addicted to sugar. Yeah. I'm a sugar addict. Yeah. I feel like that sort of thing mm. is possibly separate mm. to talking about this stuff because I do feel like sugar isn't always directly linked no. to weight, but I do feel like that conversation could be slightly different to talking about like weight loss and slimming. I do feel like there is there's proof that sugar is a problem yeah. and there's pr- and like we know that it's just in our faces and like it makes us tired mm. it makes me irritable it makes me feel shit i've just eaten like a bag of straws in front of you <laughs> um <laughs> but like it, it's it's almost like i want to kind of i want to do i want to work towards some of the things that you're talking about in terms of how i think about weight and how i talk about it with my friends family yeah. children and whatever but I do want to keep that sort of critical dialogue going on in my own head and yeah. in my own life about sugar because I do feel like that's a, a big one. Yeah, that is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And but I at think... the same time, I don't want, like, kids... I don't want... I'm not Jamie Oliver in here. So, for instance, um, so Karen Throsby at Leeds University writes loads of stuff about sugar and, like, it's it's history and how it's wrapped up in, like... Colonialism, colonialism? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God, why can't I speak? Yeah, um, colonialism yeah, and slavery, yeah. Colonialism. yeah. And, um... 
And what I would say that is that I think you can have... I think that we need to problematise medical discourses, for sure, because medicine has a long history of being wrapped up with with gender, with class, with race. And the example I always give is the way that women were treated for hysteria and mm-hmm. seemed to be, you know, yeah. it was just our femininity that made us faint or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I don't think that the medicine should be seen as something that's free from being problematised. I think that it's really important that we contextualise medicine within like sociology and history. Mm-hmm. Think that we can separate ideas of health from the way we talk about morality and I think that they're two different things I think that I'm so I'm someone that exercises a lot and I agree with you that I think it's really good for your clearing your mind it's really Mm -hmm. good for like moving your body is something that's that is good I also find it difficult to untangle that from ideas of beauty and ideas of femininity mm-hmm. and I think that the lines are so blurred between how we talk about the body and how we talk about morality and so when we talk about sugar I definitely think yeah it is bad for you and it's purposefully made to be bad for you and it's within capitalist society this idea of having sugar to like keep going and then you have like a low and it's it's all wrapped up in this idea of productivity I, mean. yeah. I feel like yeah oh god oh, I used yeah. to have that so much as a kid I don't have it anymore but oh, well, yeah like monster and stuff yeah, like that yeah like, yeah like but yeah. I, I, I totally hear what you're saying and I agree with you I'm also addicted to coffee so I can't say anything. yeah so I'm, adi- I'm definitely addicted <laughs> to coffee as well but with sh- yeah. yeah with sugar it's like I don't know if I'm sounding like a conspiracy theorist now. Like, it's like we're, there's so much of it and we're pushing it into so mm. much of our lives, whether it's you know, popular culture, media, all mm. this stuff, to control us. I don't know. It controls me. Yeah. Like, it does. Like, yeah. I need to work. Yeah, maybe that's just me as an individual and I'm just talking shit. No, but, um, no, but, no, no. But I do, I do want to get to a better place if, with my relationship with that, mm. but I also want to get into a place with how I think about weight. Yeah. And, I mean, it was interesting what you said about exercise because I think I might be there in terms of having a good relationship with how I exercise now because exercising for me as well as cooking, yeah. are the only times when I can relax. Yeah. That I relax. So I've, I worked, I, I was talking to someone recently about like overdoing it, feeling stressed and not ever feeling like I have a space that's my own and that space that I can just not be thinking about work, not yeah. be thinking about all different stuff like family and whatever. And they were like, you need to find the places where you relax. Yeah. The places I relax when I'm running in the gym yeah. And when I'm cooking. Yeah, same, yeah. But, like, is that because of the things you're talking... Like, is that because of the politics of weight? Uh, I think it (laughs) is, is. but I think... So, I, yeah, I do lo- I like, I do a lot of running. Me and my boyfriend have ran, uh, have done a few marathons. Have and, you? Um, Look at yeah, you! But, it, but it, embarrassingly, when we, go th- when we go to them, I'm like, this is the most embarrassing thing ever. Yeah, like, that's the, the run, the signing up run, people do cringe me out a bit, babe, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> I mean, when we're still at the... Like, do you want to meet up on Sunday? Oh, no, I'm doing a 15k. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit... I mean, the last one we were at, I was like, I feel really embarrassed. There was like, a video at the start line and it was like loads of people lunging in lycra to destiny's child survivor and i was like this isn't what this isn't what beyonce meant yeah this isn't what she wanted for us like why am i here i mean hang on whoa 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 i mean (laughs) don't get me wrong i love queen b beyonce i love you but why didn't you put your new range in plus size yeah yeah so bad why Yeah, yeah, really bad. But so that, I think it's, so that is one of those things where I like try and think about that in a, like try and problematise that as well. Because Mm. um, I think, why am I doing, it's me and my friend the other day were laughing about standing desks. And I was like, it's just like punishment capitalism, isn't it? It's like, you can't get any joy out of life. Just have a seat, like just just sit down while you're at work. I don't get it. But so, yeah, but the, but then that to, just to complicate that yeah. a little bit, I, I I think I'm eighty percent agree with what you're saying there. The standing <laughs> desk, but as someone that's got ADHD, standing and doing work okay, yeah. can actually yeah. be quite good for me. That's and, true. And also, I get quite bad back now, yeah. so sometimes standing while I'm at the thing. Yeah. But, but then she was like, "You do marathons. That's the most like white middle class thing ever. You basically just have time to like go and run." for hours and I was like yeah you're so right but yeah, it's so true yeah, so I think yeah. it's I think it's really difficult isn't it because it's um oh what do you think about right like what do you think about no. right no oh, so God. to be fair I did like a 
like a version of Tough Mudder that was okay. actually quite Tough Mudder with some of my friends um, this summer. But yeah. what do you think about when you get, right, people in your family, your friends send you links to like just giving pages for to do like a hike or a marathon and they're giving money to cancer research? Um, I don't know. Because I, I guess when we've done a few, when we have done marathons, we've always raised done it money. For, yeah. But, but there's something, right. Look, I don't know where I'm going with this. And if someone wants to come on the podcast to talk about it, I think there is something, like, there's something... There's... (laughs) George is looking at me. No, 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 I want to... No, 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 go on. There's something... It's not not that it's dodgy. I don't want to say dodgy. But there's something odd about that process, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't get me wrong, someone very close to me has got cancer, like, like, illnesses, like... That sort of thing, like raising money for that, and like old people, Mary Curie, and whatever. Like, I rate you. Like, let's do this, hundred percent. But there is something weird yeah. about people putting together pages of them doing it or working towards a physical activity yeah. for them to give money to charity. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's like this. I don't want to say it's self-righteous. I don't even know where, where I'm properly going on this. Someone might be like, look, get the hashtag, do the hashtag Surviving Society, Alternative Women's <laughs> Hour, and tell me what you think as well. But there is something yeah. a bit weird about that. Yes, yeah, yeah, And yeah, a bit I'll unsettling agree. about it. Yeah. Like, whenever my yeah. part, me and my partner get them from our friends or whatever, like, saying, oh, I'm doing this, I'm like... Yeah. Oh, I don't want to give that to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I would so rather right. I would rather give it to the guy on the tube. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. No, I don't so know. Right. And it's not because I don't want to contribute to no. fighting cancer. Um, oh, I think that's what you just said, but uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. No, no, no. No, but you're so right. And I think, and like me, so me and my boyfriend were talking about the fact that we've, like, the fact that we've um, done, done marathons or whatever. And I was like, I feel a bit embarrassed. Like... No, you but, shouldn't, hun, because it's it's good. It is ultimately it's good. It's just me being critical about everything. No, like, but it's good. It's good to be like that because yeah. I do think it is a massively like. I mean, when we went, when we've done them, there hasn't been one person of color there for. No. Like, it's the most white middle class activity ever because it's just like we're going for a massive run. And uh, we've sorry, got all Sunday. Sorry, like, I'm really laughing because it's reminded me of when I think it was George and Tisa were talking about like when someone died on Everest again recently, oh, and it's like, and it's like, so, why do they yeah. keep going up to Stop Everest? Fucking doing it then, like that. That I'm like. That is that that <laughs> ultimate. That's like taking a stand. They, I bet they had a standing desk. But it's, yeah. but it's, all, but it's also it's the like, it's the it's the politics of weight. It's yeah. patriarchy. It's masculinity yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. all at once. Like, yeah, I'm gonna go and climb this. Like, or like it's like the bear yeah. grills thing. Or I think you're so, like, no, you're so right. And it was such a thing of like, um, so when we did them, I, th- I guess it was it's so wrapped up in this idea of, um, I I think like. I guess there is a bit of, of self-righteousness about it, actually. And I think it is wrapped up in the idea of having a goal and then meet, and then meeting it. But why do you need to do that? Do you know what I mean? And I think it is so wrapped up in this idea of, of punishment capitalism, essentially, that you need to, like, I'm going to push the limits of... Of yeah. what my body can do and this kind of, and this kind of thing. And I'm going to... It's neoliberal, you know, really, isn't it? Like push, yeah, like push the push the limits or whatever. And I think, yeah, yeah, you are you are right. But we were talking about it, and I was saying, I'm a bit, I feel a bit like. I don't no, know. I don't think you should. Yeah. I think I think what's good about these conversations is we're complicating it together. So yeah, like, I mean, I'm probably gonna do a 10k or something this year, yeah, like yeah. as in like a, a sponsored just one or whatever. Text my boyfriend, like, don't don't send out the just giving. <laughs> but I think it's but I think it's good to talk these yeah. sort of things through because it's okay. Mm. It's okay to live life in the yeah. way that it's set out for us. Like that's not a problem. I, I just, I just don't think it's as binary as, as they're doing a really good thing. Yeah. Compared to people that aren't doing that, aren't contributing. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it feels like it's kind of like a d- deserving and undeserving yes, thing going yeah. on there. I don't yeah. know. No, that's so true. Actually, that you will only give to charity if it's through if it's through pain and through like gain but, and also you'll yeah. only give to charity if it's as if it's something that could happen to anyone yeah. so that's the thing with cancer or one of those sorts of charities yeah. it can happen to the richest people it can happen yeah. to the poorest people so therefore it's a legitimate thing yeah. for me to push my body through yeah yeah, yeah in order yeah. to raise money absolutely. for absolutely no yeah absolutely i guess well when we did there's them. probably an academic that's written on this so i'm really sorry if i've not shouted you out please dm yeah. us to tell, <laughs> to tell us if you've written about yeah, this yeah. stuff so we're now in in an era 
where we've got basically authoritarian government. Austerity is unlikely to stop. Yeah. Things are likely to get worse for poorer people. However, at the same time, we have, whether it's in popular culture, magazines, media, we're seeing yeah. more plus-size models, we're seeing more discourse on fatness, we're seeing mm. more, quote-unquote, fat influencers, um, like, all this sort of thing. Mm. Like, body image seems to be becoming a little bit more spoken about, or is it just because of what I'm looking at? I think it is, but I think... So I think that the way austerity has got austerity has gone is that now we have a normalization of food poverty and a normalization mm. of food banks mm. and we have conservative MPs saying that food banks are symbolic of the empathy of this com- country I think is something that J- Jacob Rees-Mogg said can I, can I just side note quickly here it's so amazing to be sat with someone from my ends in the West Midlands that's not a Tory <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> because we're really because yeah. it's so- Yeah, Bromsgrove MP, yeah. But everyone's a Tory where we're from. Yeah, massively. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, carry carry on. But yeah, so Um, they've normalised it. We had Kate Haddo on the show and she was talking about how food banks become so normalised and they shouldn't be normal. They shouldn't shouldn't exist. So in in my work as a a research fellow, I'm actually looking at... um, the digitalization of welfare mm. um and one of the things as a as a side note which isn't necessarily about about weight is um the government pushed for di- digital by default in terms of universal credit at the same time they had massively cut libraries and also removed all the computers from the job centers so then claimants who were trying to who obviously the first thing to go when you're waiting five weeks for your universal internet. credit is going to be the internet so there's no there's literally been a digital uh, I think um, Philip Alston referred to it as a digital poorhouse where there is a literally a barrier in accessing people's entitlements and this has been he also called I really really rate Philip Alston actually that if if anyone's interested in this kind of stuff you should definitely watch his um when he does the press release about the UN austerity report because mm-hmm. he says it is ignorant at best and cruel and callous at worst and I would say it's the latter because I do think it's definitely an ideological project mm-hmm. um but I think that the way that the poor have been positioned, um, and I think after the last election, I because I listened to your podcast on the on the election, and um, there was something you said in, in it where you were like, I, you were like, I'm normally really cynical, but I had hope, and I also had loads of hope, and I'd been going out canvassing, mm-hmm. and and the one day I'd been um, canvassing, and I was I was on the doorstep talking to this woman, and I'm stood on a Massive townhouse in Wimbledon, you know, I can see her chandelier and I can see her, like, fuck-off conservatory out the back, you know. And she's saying, why should me and my husband pay more tax when we earn over 100k, but we don't feel like we see it? And I said, you know, well, there's there's 4 million children living in poverty um, and, like, kids going to school hungry and that their parents, that their parents can't afford to, like get them school uniform and the teachers are buying food for them in school and she just said why should I care about that and you just think like I can't make you care about that but I think that we've got to a point which is really scary and after the last election I did just kind of feel like wow like like we're at a point where there's four million kids living in poverty like below the poverty line and I just feel like this demonization of the poor and particularly people on benefits has been so um, normalised. Well, it's been a 30-year project, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. There's a great book by um, Kayleigh Garthwaite called Hunger Pains, which mm. is about um, food banks. Yes. And um, there's a really great bit in it where she says... Um, sorry, this is kind of like diverting a little bit away from weight, but I will, we'll loop it back. Um, she's talking about um, when she was volunteering for the food bank and she was waiting in the supermarket and people would walk past and like... She says, oh, a well-dressed woman walked past me and, like, put her hand in my face. And I wanted to run after her and say, this could be you one day. But then I realised that it won't. And I think that there's this idea of of we have a completely divided country in the sense that there are people that are literally off-grid. And that is purposeful by the government. And I think that this plays out, has, has as you say, it is a 30-year project, but it has played out through conceptualizations of the body. And whilst I do think things like body positivity which is problematic in a sense because it's a watered down version of fat activism essentially whilst I do think that there is a lot of great discourse and I think that Instagram is 
particularly um, great for stuff like this because of, uh, you know, I don't want to say that social media is either great or bad. I think it's nuanced. But people like Tess Holiday and, you know, people that are complicating our ideas of uh, our conceptualizations of fat are really good. Steph um, Yaboa as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. amazing. But I think that what's missing from this is um, a discourse about class because I feel like body positivity and... Um, yeah, I feel it's not like, going to help us if we get more fat influencers that have got money. Yeah, I it's guess. more about is that is that what you mean? Yeah, or? I guess I think that that I, although there is massive amounts of I'm kind of uh, doing fat activism a disservice because there's massive amounts of fat activism that looks at class. Yeah, but I think that I guess I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I'm trying to say. I guess I'm saying that I think that it, within this 30 year project for austerity has been this conceptualization of fatness which I can't see uh, changing at any point and I think that it's so powerful in the way that we understand benefits and the way that we um, view people that uh, utilize the welfare state as this like flabby excess that we need to yeah. cut away essentially and it's yeah. that violent yeah. um, and I, I can't see that changing and when and the election for me kind of reaffirmed that, that yeah and it was and just awful when you spoke to the woman in Wimbledon yeah. how, how close to the election was that that was like a few days before but you know I was yeah yeah like yeah a... well I had probably my worst conversations on the doorstep about five days before yeah. the election and I was like shit I, and you just <laughs> and it was one of those things where you think like, my jaw kind of hit the floor because I was like, normally people don't say that. They don't necessarily say... No, they wear the ignorance with, with a badge of honour now, isn't it? Yeah, and that thing of, well, you know... And I think what, what uh, neoliberalism is so good at doing and what um, the coalition have been so good at doing in particular is the financial crash that was caused by fucking bankers and basically taking a shit ton of cocaine and then, Mm -hmm. like, fucking up the economy, they have laid it at the feet of the most vulnerable in society. Mm -hmm. And and all of these discourses about the body are so wrapped up with that project, and I think they've been so successful in doing that and individualising the state, essentially, and that has, yeah, played out through the body and... It's very depressing. I'm sorry. <laughs> not not leaving you on a hopeful note. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it's been yeah. absolutely brilliant yeah, talking to you, so Amelia. And thank you so much for joining us yeah. for our first alternative to a Women's Hour for 2020. Thanks. If you enjoy the podcast and would like us to keep going, then please do consider joining our Patreon. Um, all the money goes towards keeping the podcast going. Um, Amelia, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you you and lean times will be out in the autumn yes hopefully brilliant but before then you can request from for your library at university if you haven't got already the politics of weight feminist dichotomies of power and dieting or i'll just send you a pdf or she'll send you a pdf (laughs) dm her dm her thank you guys bye (laughs) thank you for listening to surviving society Please support the podcast by rating, following and subscribing on your preferred podcast platform. And please consider supporting the production of the podcast by joining our Patreon community. 